morning. Look, thank y'all, first of all, well, thank you, Daniel, for that uh, most gracious and courteous. I can't tell if he was calling me old or if he was giving me praise. I'm not sure which one that was, but I'm, I'm going to give him credit for giving me uh, some praise there, praise that is much undeserved. And thank you all so much for allowing me to come and fill this pulpit behind two of what I think are two of the best pastors that this church could have or could desire or want. So I, I am greatly humbled and very much appreciative of the opportunity to stand before you all this morning and do my best to rightly divide the Word of God. And so if you would turn with me this morning to Psalm 127. Now, many are probably familiar with this psalm, and a lot of times this psalm, and it'll have a little bit of flavor of this in it this morning, um, use this for directing either um, uh, preaching to fathers or uh, building our homes, being good stewards in the home, and some of that will be mingled in here this morning. But this morning, I want us to focus on, on kind of this theme, and that is trusting God's sovereignty in the everyday life. I think we, we do an adequate job and a very good job, actually, at this church of emphasizing the sovereignty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of God the Father, right? We, I think that's been laid out before us, but a lot of times we emphasize those things on what we would see as the major things, God's sovereignty in our life as far as when we begin and when we, when we end, God's sovereignty in in life as far as our spiritual life that comes along. God is sovereign in that he chooses to reveal himself to us, and it's his choice, and he does that. And there, But equally with that, we will see today, I hope, that there is that handshake um, that we talk about with salvation, that we'll see that, that there's a handshake of God in our everyday life and his sovereignty and what he does in our lives and what we do in our lives. So let's look at the psalm for just a minute. It says this in verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labor, labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like the arrows in the hands of a warrior, so children are of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Now, this morning, for time-wise, I kind of, we will probably more than likely stop there around verse 4, but I wanted to read the whole psalm just in case we get to the rest of it. Um, I think there is no greater peace than trusting our sovereign God with our day-to-day -day activities our day-to-day -day life. And, and I think this psalm does a good job of spelling out how we can do that, just how we go about that. And knowing our God is the absolute authority in everything. Now, we say we agree with that, but oftentimes I think that in our day-to-day, -day, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that God is sovereign in that moment. It is easy to forget that God is the ultimate authority of what is happening in your life at that time. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with that. It's easy for me to do that on Sunday morning. It's easy to do that up here on a platform singing with these guys who do a phenomenal job. Thank you, Daniel, for that, for the work that you and the praise team put in. It's easy to do that when we're in church settings. It's easy to do that even sometimes at home where we're comfortable. But let's, let's put it in perspective here. What about when you're at work? What about I, I work now as full-time I work in, in the barbering field? 
Yes, I'm the bald barber of Bay Springs, all right? So Luke gave me that name years ago, and it has stuck, and it's actually the name of my business now, The Bald Barber. Um, so, um, but it's, it's hard. That is difficult. When you work with, in public service, not all your clientele is nice. Not all, you're not always, I'm not always in the best mood. So it's hard sometimes in those day-to-day things that we do to say, hey, you know what? God's in control right now, right? Yay. No, it's not always like that. Sometimes I go, I really want to shave this guy bald just like me right now. All right. So, um, but we must trust God in the day-to-day, in our work, in our homes, in, in our children's lives. We'll see some of those things today that and hopefully we'll see just how we go about that. I don't want to just throw some topics at you or some, some headlines at you today and then you walk away and go, how in the I understand what he's saying, but, but how do you apply that? So we're going to spend a good bit of time this morning in application type stuff, and then we'll sum it up with some applications at the end. Um, We've got to remember that he is the ultimate authority, absolute authority in everything. Romans 8, 28 not only tells us that he is that absolute authority, but that he is working every aspect of our life, everything in our life. As a believer, he is working that for the good of us, right? Well, here's where that verse gets kind of twisted sometimes. That doesn't always mean it's going to be pleasant. That does not always mean it's going to be fun, but our good is always to be drawn into a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so everything in the life of the believer we need to see is for our good, and that good is for us to be in a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, because none of us will be there till we're made perfect and made whole when we go home with him, right? Nobody here is perfect, right? If any husband thinks you are, look at your wife. She will let you know that you are not, I promise you. All right? Or probably your kids, even at that. So how do we do this? How do we trust the sovereignty of God in our everyday lives and what we might even see as the mundane? All right, the first part here, we're going to focus on the home. We need to trust God's sovereignty in our home. And what I have here for our, for our first point is we've we got to have a proper perspective. And we see that right off the bat in verse 1, unless the Lord, right? That's what it says. Unless the Lord builds, we build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen awake in vain. What they do is in vain. So the primary principle of truth here we see is that unless the Lord does it, and unless the Lord calls us to it, we are operating in a futile state there. It's not going to manifest itself in the way that we want it to. It's not going to be what we expect it to be because ultimately it is God who does the work in everything in our lives. He is the one that makes it happen. He is the one that makes it prosper. So how do we trust God's sovereignty there? By, abs- by knowing that we have to be absolutely dependent upon God. There is not an aspect of our life that we can afford to not be dependent upon God, and especially if we're building our home or keeping care and watching over our home. Now, we can do everything we, we can try to do everything we can to steer our family in the right direction, to put all the things in place, but the truth is that unless we're dependent upon God and we're relying on God to do that work, it will not happen because you and I are faulty, we're frail, we get frustrated, we'll give up, but God never does any of those things. He is not faulty. He is perfect. He never gives up. He is persistent, and He is faithful, and He is always, always 
seeking to glorify himself. So in doing that, if we trust God with that work and we are dependent upon him, we see that God is the one doing the work. We must recognize that nothing good or fruitful takes place in our lives except it come from him. James 1.17 tells us, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadows. God is perfect in all he does and all he wills, and he will perfectly fulfill that will and that purpose. Every believer, everything a believer could and should find value in comes from our God, our Father. Everything that is profitable, everything that is beneficial, everything God, I can't even read my writing there, everything God in Everything good in our lives comes from our sovereign God. So we've got to get that, and we've got to take that. I know it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse right now, but we have to understand that before we can proceed with anything else in this, this psalm. Therefore, any activity in the life of a believer that is not attempted or that is attempted without the Lord is no good and is done in vain. If God hadn't called us to it, if God ain't in it, then we shouldn't be in it and we shouldn't be doing it. And then whatever he calls us to, we need to realize we need to do our best and put our best foot forward. But God is the one who will ultimately do the work and do all the heavy lifting. So unless God does it, it is in vain. We must trust God to do what is right, whether we agree with what that is or not. And everything must begin and end in him in the life of a believer, especially in our homes. The secondary principle we see here or the secondary truth we see here is this. There is an expectation of participation. Now, we just said God does, does the work, right? So a worldly view of that would be that we sit back, trust God to do the work, or maybe if we're trying to do something, we're not trusting God to do the work. No, that's not how it works. Much like with salvation where God reveals himself to us, calls himself to us, but there is an element of man in our salvation, right? There's an element there. And so where we must do, where we must receive, and we must do it, but God's got to open our eyes to that. It's the same way when we're trying to build our homes and when we're trying to attempt anything in the Christian walk. We must trust God to do it. We must know God's called us to it. We must accept that God's called us to it and follow in suit with him in doing it. So God, basically what I'm saying there is God calls us alongside himself and says, here, I'm plowing, plow alongside me. I'm plowing, drop some seeds behind me. Whatever the case, God calls us to the work. He does the work because only good things can come from him and from above. But we must participate in that work. As believers, we're expected to labor with the Lord. Yes, he does the heavy lifting, but we are called to come alongside him. We are expected to be productive with the lives that he has given us. God does not give us spiritual life so that we can sit back and just say, God, we're going to pray about it and we're going to trust you to do it. No, we pray about it. The Lord leads us in a direction. We come alongside him in that work, and then we trust him to do the work. We trust him with the outcome. There is no greater work for the believer than to labor alongside our Lord in the, and be faithful in the everyday. There's no greater work. We can get up here and preach the gospel, but if we're not laboring with the Lord in the everyday, then guess what? It's not fruitful. Because then it's just a, a stage. It's just a performance. It's just a look at me. It's just, this is what y'all need to do, but then I'm not doing it. No, God has called us to be faithful. And in him calling us to be faithful, he is faithful to his word. When he tells us that if we labor alongside him, 
here in this verse, and if we labor with him, then what we do won't be in vain because we're doing what he has called us to do and we're not wasting time and efforts doing other things. See, this psalm kind of gives, some, gives us some wisdom to, to what that might look like. All right, so we labor alongside the Lord in the building of our homes. We place our homes. We try to build on a foundation of Jesus Christ, on the foundation of the Word, on the foundation of the gospel. We um, develop our homes on a foundation of love and respect for a holy God. If we want our homes to be a God-honoring home and we want God to work in our homes, then we need to point our homes, first of all, to set our eyes and our hearts and our affections on the one true holy God. If we're divided in that, then we're going we're gonna to sow the seed of division in our homes. But here, we must cast our eyes to, the, to a holy God and have the utmost respect for Him and the utmost love for Him, a love that, that is rivaled by nothing else in our lives. Secondly, we keep watch over our homes all the while trusting the Lord to actually do the protecting. So what do I mean by that? Well, we do everything we can. And I'm going to talk about dads for a minute because... That's, it's our job. Now, moms come alongside us, but we come alongside the Lord and lead our families in the protection of our home. And so how do we do that? How do we protect our home? We do our best, for one, to keep evil out of our home. When those watchmen were up on the wall, what were they doing? They were keeping the enemy at bay. They were keeping watch over the people sleeping. They were awake and serving their people. And they were um, selfishly up there laying their lives on the line to make sure that no invading party came in, no enemy came in and took over the city or got their family in their sleep. Well, we live in a time where, where is it at? We live in a time where evil is ever-present everywhere we go, right? Internet's right here. Anything you want to look up, you want to find, I use it as a study aid a lot of times. I'm not the brightest crayon on the box, so sometimes i got to look up what words mean. Or I say, hey, I want to sound a little smarter there. I wonder what word would sound better than this word, you know? And so I can look that stuff up. But the same tool that can be used for good, and I dare say probably a lot of your teenagers have these too, um, the same tool that can be used for good can be used for evil. Everything that God has set for good, the enemy always tries to twist it and manipulate it and uh, pervert it into evil. And so... What we find here is, dads, we got to be vigilant. Be involved in your kid's life. Don't just come home, get on the TV, let your kid get on their iPad or their phone or whatever, and y'all sit in the same room but don't know each other. Spend time. Know your children and know what they're looking at. Know what they're into. You can't even let, i got a seven-year-old daughter, precious. A headache sometimes, but just precious. I love her to death. But even with like the cartoon channels and the things that they're, they're trying to infiltrate the minds of our children using cartoons these days. I have to watch her cartoons before she watches them so I'll know that it's okay for her to watch them, being diligent. Would I rather be watching a hunting show or doing something else? Yes, but I'm going to watch the cartoon to make sure my daughter is protected in that area. So there's things that we do. We do our best to keep the evil out, whether it's in their music, in their entertainment, their friends. I'm not saying we don't reach out to the lost, but you got to be careful with the influence that, that their friends have on them. Um, our wives, protect our wives from, from uh, being over, overdone and outworked and frustrated, frustrated and flustered and, and make sure we're investing 
in their um, spiritual life. So how do we do that? We keep watch over them by fending off evil, but most importantly, we build up a holy God in front of them. We do our best to live that holy God. We do our best to teach that holy God, and we, we prop up his word to build those walls up so that when we're not, we're not ever present, right? So that when we're not there, they know what to do, and they know, hey, this is wrong. My dad says I can't do that. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more rewarding than when you hear a story about your kid being somewhere and then somebody comes back and says, man, your daughter came up to us and said, hey, my, my daddy won't let me do that. I can't do that. Makes you proud. But see, I wasn't there, but guess who was? God the Father. Labor over her in prayer. Teach her the word. Teach her the right things to do. Do my best to model that. And then... Trust the Lord, because I'm not always there, but He is. We do what we can to honor the Lord in our laboring, our watchfulness, all the while trusting Him with, with what He deems best for His eternal work. Because when it all boils down to it, it's about the eternal work of our Father, not about the everyday. The everyday is not just the everyday is what I'm saying. It all should be viewed as an eternal work, as, as an investment in that process. Next point I want you to see in verse 2 is this. Let's look at verse 2 again. It is vain for you to rise up earlier, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. There's so much that appeals to me in that, in that verse. And as, you, as we age, you know, we, the rest becomes more, seems like it becomes less but more desired. I don't know, but that, that's been the case with me. So uh, we'll get to that here in just a minute. But we see a potential. A potential predicament here. There's kind of a snare and a trap that, that he tells us what to do there in the first and, and, and emphasizes that, hey, it's got to be God. It's got to be about God. It's got to be God doing it for, it to, for it to work. But then he says there's a trap. Even if we're trying to do it that way, there is a snare that if we're not careful, we'll fall into. See, we live in a chaotically busy world today, don't we? Especially us Americans in our we feel like we got to do this. We feel like we got to do that. We're, we're always busy. We're always headed this way and that way. And as, as we hit the day, uh, my wife works full-time too, so um, a lot of the daddy duties fall to me during the week because I work two miles from my daughter's school. Amy has to leave extra early. She gets home later than I do, um, works very hard um, to help out, and so um, has a great job, but uh, loves her job. But still, she is, she's, she's removed from some of this. And so, for me, I can get caught up in getting this done, getting that done. She's got to be here. She's got to be there. Then my wife comes in. She's got to be there. She's got to be here. Now we've got to try to fit everybody in their place, get everybody ready for bed, and then start it all over again, right? Seems like there's never a dull moment in the day. And maybe it's because I'm older with a younger child. I don't know. But I just feel like there's never enough hours in the day. Matter of fact, my wife looked at me the other day, and she said, Brandon, there's, there's just never enough hours in the day. Well, that's the snare. That's the trap. See, what God means for us to be productive in our work, notice what he says there. It's vain to rise up early and to retire late. It's vain to just toil your life away. Now, God's not in any way, means, shape, or form saying here we should not work and we should not work hard. But what he is saying, matter of fact, Solomon and many of the, Solomon who wrote the psalm and many of the other uh, uh, Proverbs that he wrote, he dogged out lazy people. And he promoted working hard and being productive. Well, God's not 
doing away with that here. But if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in this culture of chaos and we'll become so busy that we miss the God-given opportunities, the God-given gifts to come and labor along beside him because we're just simply too busy, right? Anybody ever feel too busy other than me, right? It happens. So what do we do when that happens? How do we prevent that from happening? Number one, we, we got to trust God with our time and our energy there. How do we do it? We trust God with our time and energy. Providing for our families is hard work. It takes time. It takes money. It takes a lot of money these days, and it, is, it takes great effort. Providing for your family is not an easy thing. I know most of you probably feel it when you go to the grocery store. I know we do. And so it's not easy. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store up in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour of your life? See, when we fall into that trap of worrying, we'll busy ourselves all the more. And then we'll create more worry. And it's a snowball cycle and a snowball effect that just builds and builds and builds. How many times do you guys turn on the TV and there is a commercial about anxiety? There's a commercial about depression. Well, God's trying to steer us away from that here. Solomon's trying to steer us away from that here when he tells us that we must um, trust God with our time and our energy. Lost my place. God, God does not call us to be busy. He does not want us to worry. He calls us to be faithful and to trust Him. That's, that's all God calls us to do. Trust and obey. Be faithful in that, in the everyday and in the mundane. How do we trust God with our time and our energy? By maintaining a proper balance. Well, that's easier said than done, right? Well, what's a proper balance look like? Well, this is what it looks like. The only way to do that is, is to be God-centered. Well, what does God-centered look like? We must first not neglect our time with Him. It should be the most important thing. I'm not telling you this is the way you got to do it. This is the way I have to do it to, to do it. But I got to get up sometimes 3.30, sometimes 4 o'clock, sometimes it's 5 o'clock, whatever. I look at my day, but I need to start my day with God because I know me. I'm going to get some client that day that rubs me the wrong way, and I'm going to epically fail in trusting God's sovereignty in that moment. Whereas I may have an opportunity to plow alongside him, I might just plow the guy right over, you know. And so we must not neglect our time. That's how we remain proper balance and God-centered proper balance is to not neglect our time with him. We must not neglect our time with our family. There's my time with God, and I try to carry that over into my work day, and then I try to carry that into my time with my wife and my kid. My kid loves board games card games, anything she thinks she can beat daddy in, she wants to do it. Right now, it's Uno. She's been on a, a kick of just whooping me in Uno. Um, Mancala, Mancala, I think is what it's called. We love that game, but she loves destroying me in that game. And so we have that time together. Um, we must not neglect our time with family. We must not neglect our work time. Do your job. When you're there, be an example, be a witness in the way that you work. Love the people you work with and love God in front of them. Be an example. Be a witness. Be a good steward with your time at work. And if you'll put in that effort, 
and you'll work hard, and you'll trust God with that and not worry about what comes after that, but just trust Him and be faithful in those things, we'll see that we won't neglect our rest because God will reward our rest when we lay our heads down at night. You won't lay your head on a pillow worrying about today or tomorrow, worrying about what didn't get done today, not worrying about what needs to happen tomorrow and how much that's piling up. God's not called us to that. Give an honest day's work. Trust God with that honest day's work. Trust Him to supply for us just like He does the birds of the air. And in doing that, He will grant us the rest that only can come from Him. He gives us a peace that passes all understanding, right? That's what Scripture tells us. That peace is so awesome when it coincides with sleep. And you wake up early the next morning well-rested. To me, there's no better feeling than that. When we trust sovereign God with our day, He gives us peaceful rest at night. We tr when we trust God to build our home, when we trust God to protect our home, when we trust God to provide for our home, um, and if we will, He will, and if we trust Him, He will prosper our homes. And that's, this will be our third and final point today. The third thing I want us to see here is in verses 3 and 5. If you look at this and you read through this, there's parts of this psalm that just seem like it doesn't quite go with the rest. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this, trying to figure out how to make the continuity work. But here's what I saw in verses 3 through 5 there, and that is this. There's a providential promise here in the Word of God. And that is uh, the third part of our day that we see here is our children. We must trust sovereign God with our children. And oh, if there was ever a place in my life where I want to hold tight, where I want to worry, where I don't want to trust God, it's with my kid. I am the overprotective parent. My wife's like, even from the time Adeline was little, she'd fall and skin herself up. And Amy's like, nope, get up. Nope, you're all right. Get up. Don't cry. And I'm running over like, Baby, you okay? Let's dust that off. Let's go do this. Let's get a Band-Aid because a Band-Aid fixes everything and all those kind of things. And, and I'm that guy. The, the first time she ever spent the night anywhere, I could not sleep. And it was at May May's house. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. That's me. I'm the dad that tends to struggle with worrying when it comes to my kid. But here we find the psalmist telling us we must trust the sovereignty of God even in the lives of our children. We must realize children are, number one, a gift from God. This third point, the first thing, they are a gift. My wife and I struggled for years to have children. We talked about this, um, and, and we finally gave up. We just said, Lord, it's just not your will. It's not going to happen. And one day, out of the blue, we get a phone call saying, we got a blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby girl at the hospital. If y'all are ready for And we said, my wife literally, she's going to kill me, but she literally said, so do we need to pick up a car seat on the way? <laughs> Doc's like, no, she's got to stay here for a couple of days. So we were excited, pumped. God provided there, and we are excited. And we truly see, and I, as I'm sure all you parents do, I truly see my child as a precious, precious gift from God. But I want us to see some things and kind of relate them to some physical things and application of how these kids, how we, how we view these kids as gifts. We must realize children are a gift from God, and we must treat them as such. So how do we do that? Well, here's some things about gifts. 
Gifts are to be treasured. They're to be taken care of. Nobody ever, well, I can't say nobody ever gives a gift that's like this because some people may just not, they may just throw something at you and say, here you go. But for the most part, when you give a gift, it should be for someone to value, for someone to treasure, and for someone to enjoy, right? And so here we see that that our children are to be treasured and they're to be taken care of. You don't want to give somebody something and then you go to their house and it's broken in 10 pieces or you see, see it halfway hanging out of the garbage can, right? You hope they take care of it. You hope they respect what you've given them. We need to respect God in, a ma- in the manner in which we raise our children, in which we care for them, which we, the way that we take care of them. Gifts are also to be enjoyed, not to be neglected, to spend quality time with. A bunch of my buddies, before I had a child, which was a long period in my life, I was huge into hunting, especially archery. And I would spend every spare minute that my wife and I weren't doing something, I was in a tree. And I would do that. And I I got all these guys that come around me now, and they're like, man, what happened to you? You used to hunt. You used to do this and that. And a friend of mine used to tell me when I would say the same thing to him, and I would misunderstand him, he would say, I can't. My kid's doing this this weekend, or we got this with, with my kid or whatever. And it used to rub me the wrong way. Because I was like, for one, I was a little bit bitter about not having a kid. But two, it was like, man, I'm here dying to have a kid. And he's over here saying his kid's the reason he can't do stuff. But I didn't understand what he said, what he was saying until I had a kid. Until Adeline came along. And when she came along, I don't feel like I need to go do all that other stuff anymore. That's not where my desire is. That's not where my heart is. My heart's with my daughter, with my family, with my wife. And before my wife, my God used my daughter because there was times my wife became a, uh, a hunting season widow, you know. And so, because I was gone, you know. Um, now, granted, she used to hunt a lot with me, but anyway, so that's beside the point. But we need to spend quality time with our kids, and that's where my desire and my heart is, and that's where our, as parents, that's where our hearts should be when it comes to our children. Gifts are meant to be useful, which brings us to verses 4 and 5 here. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. I just told y'all I'm a, I'm a little bit of an archery nut. I love to, to archery hunt, but I'm, I'm like overboard a lot of times with my archery stuff. It's gotten so bad that my wife doesn't even care anymore when she walks into my hunting room. There's like eight bows in there and arrows everywhere. She's like, I don't even care. So I love this part of this scripture because I can relate on so many levels with what he's saying here. Arrows, let's see, behold, children are a gift, to the Lord, gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Now let's think about that a minute and what, the, what he's saying here. First, we've got to kind of get our minds set back in those days. Now you can run to Walmart if you want to. If you want to. I wouldn't, but you can run to Walmart and buy whatever arrows off the shelf and go shoot. All right, so... But back in those days, um, that's not the way it was. You didn't run to Wally World. You didn't run to the local bow shop and pick up what you needed for battle the next day. You had to build these things. Now, the first thing I want to see here is that arrows are useful to those who are equipped to use them. If you've never fired a bow, I can hand you a bow and arrow and unless you're just a crack shot natural, you're probably not 
going to hit anywhere near where you need to hit, and you're probably going to have a whelp on your arm from about there to there when it's done. Notice what he says here, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. A warrior was skilled in what he did. And an archer in those days was very skilled in what he did. I told somebody the other day, it's kind of like this. I saw this meme one time. You know, how did archery come about? Well, this guy was standing there with a sword in his hand. They were getting ready for battle, and he went, I really want to stab that guy way over there. So he invented a bow so he could shoot him way over there and stab him way over there. So, but only a person that knows how that joke just so flopped, Daniel. It hit like right on target the last time I did, but it flopped this morning. So um, just laugh at me. I'm okay with it. Arrows are useful to those who are equipped. Parents, we must equip ourselves that we may equip our children. We can't equip a child with something that we don't have and that we know nothing about. Our relationship with the Lord is first and foremost most valuable even before our relationship with our child because that relationship, unless the Lord builds that relationship, it doesn't work. It's in vain. How many parents do you know? that are in misery because they're kids and they're suffering from anxiety. They're worrying all the time because their kids are not who they need to be or where they need to be. And they question what happened. Here's something that we can do to, to prevent that from happening. Arrows are useful to those who are equipped to use them. Parents, we must equip ourselves so that we can equip our children. And in those, um, in those days, like I said, you didn't just go out and buy it. So let's circle back to that. So they would... Arrows started out as branches and limbs on a tree. Certain trees were better than others. I can't tell you which ones those were. I didn't do that much research. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I do know about them. I build arrows, I, uh, not the wood ones like those. I, I order the shafts and all that, and I put them together and have gotten kind of deep into that stuff. And um, So I'm going to relate some of this to what I know. But I do know this. They had to build them. And so the, the archer itself had to develop his errors. And just like an archer has to develop his errors, so we have to develop our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Um, the arrows were crafted from limbs, from branches, with great care to maximize straightness, very important in an arrow, straightness, and dexterity, which is the stiffness of the arrow. We call it spine in the archer business. And so you need both of those things to be correct or else you can suffer injury from the spine not being stiff enough. Um, you can have an arrow. When I go to shoot, I got to shoot an archery tournament a couple of weeks ago, and I took all my arrows out, and I was shooting them. Matter of fact, I was texting Daniel and the guys about it. I was like, I think I got a flyer because I could shoot three arrows, and every time one of them was over here or over here, but it never was right in there with the rest. And then I got another target out and started shooting. I was like, nope, it was this was there. I stacked them in there. But anyway, so um, so. All, both of those things affect greatly the trueness of the flight of the arrow and the safety of using the arrow. You see, they were equipped with feathers at one end. Now you can use feathers, you can use veins, and there's all different sizes and types and all those kind of things. But the feathers sit on the back to help stabilize the arrow as you shoot it. And so you got that helping steer and, and steer that course. Just like with, with, uh, with uh, those arrows, they also, and the arrows we have today, they had to put a a tip on it. When we're practicing, we use a thing called, small thing called field tips. It's the same weight as our broadheads, and then you've got your broadheads. I meant to bring an arrow to show you guys these things, but 
you got the broadhead, and the broadhead does more than just stab something. The broadhead is also there to put the weight on the forward of the arrow so that the arrow will fly as true as it possibly can if those things are balanced out between spine and the weight of the broadhead and the total weight of the arrow. All that stuff gets way more complicated. These guys just needed to stab somebody or shoot a deer or whatever to feed their families. But at the same time, same way, they, they crafted the shaft. They put things to steer it on the end. They put things to help guide it on the front and to do the job at the front. Just like that with our children, um, they equip the arrow with feathers and stabilizers. We must equip our children with the Word of God so that it helps stabilize them in their walk, so that it shears up their legs and so that they can walk the straight path and fly, fly straight, you know. And so, and then also we've got the broadhead on the other end, and that end is the business end. It's what accomplishes the goal when you release the arrow. It's what does the work when it gets there. It all works together, but it does the work. So we must sharpen our children. Iron sharpens iron. The best way to do that is for us to spend our time with them and invest the Word of God in their lives. Likewise, with children, we must take great care to develop them, teach them to walk the straight path, and stand firm in the faith. Otherwise, they are merely branches off our family tree. I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't want my child to be a branch on my family tree. There is no eternal value in being in the sorrel family tree. But I want her to be an arrow shot straight and true in this life at the enemy to do the work of God. That should be our desire. Arrows must, which brings us to the next point, arrows must be directed. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train a child in the way it should go, or way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from them. So let's train them up and let's direct them. See, an arrow's got to be aimed. An arrow will never point itself in the right direction, never shoot itself in the right direction, any of those things. We have to do it. Um, so we must direct our children. We must take care to aim our children with focus, point them at the enemy, armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, who's the enemy, you say? Well, Scripture's very plain about that. It's not flesh and blood, but it's, it's the principalities of the air, right? But what does Scripture also tells us about the enemies of God? That before we are saved, we are the enemies of God, right? We were His enemies, yet He loved us and He saved us. We must teach our children to carry the gospel and launch them out into this cruel, lost world so that they can carry the gospel places that we can't go and do the things that we can't do because we won't be there to do it. So finally, with those children, we've got to release them. So what does that look like? For this daddy, that's terrifying. I, I, I heard Paul Washer say at one time that he finally had to get to the point with his children where he just said, Lord, use them for their glory even if it means their death. And man, I read that and I was like, dude, that's awesome. But when I got ready to pray that night, guess what? I couldn't do it. I love my child. It's hard to trust the sovereign, holy God with your children, but there's no one better to trust them with. Because whether we trust him or not with him, guess what? He's still the ultimate authority, and he's still got the final say. So we are much better off coming alongside him and laboring with him with our children and trusting him with our children. So now an application. You can come on up, John Ryan. Um, how do we do these things? What does that look like? Like, how does that look in our family, in our home? How does that look at work? How does that look 
with our children. Number one, we must maintain a high view of God. We must set that bar high, and we must maintain it in our homes, at work, with our children. In the everyday things in life, we must keep a high view of God, who He is and who we are. He is the holy, sovereign God. He's not your homeboy. Yes, Scripture says He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but even in that brotherhood, He is still God Almighty, and He is still sovereign God. And He deserves the love and respect that that title bestows upon Him. And then... As ourselves, we're servants. Yes, we are the children of God, but we are the children of God who are called to serve. We are children by adoption. God loves us as his children, but we are his servants, called to respect him above all, to love him above all, and fall in line with what he tells us, which brings us to the second thing, and that is this. We must have a high view of Scripture. I think there's a lot of people that struggle with this right here. They profess to love God. They say they do. They do their best. But we must have this high view of Scripture. Yes, we can. We say that the Bible is true. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. There is no variation. There's no variance from that. We must hold true to the, the Bible as the absolute truth. It is absolutely God's Word. I had a person tell me one time in, in, a, in a business setting and he said, or she said, she's speaking of some of Paul's writings, and I can't remember what book it was. She said, well, you got to remember Paul was a man, and some of that's his opinion. And it broke my heart, and I looked at her, and I said, that is a mighty slippery slope that you just stepped out on. I mean, icy slippery. No, it is the Word of God, or it is not. you got to decide. And we must, as believers, decide that it is the very Word of God, and we are under its absolute authority. Absolutely under its authority. There is no authority higher. You say, how can you say that? Well, Scripture says that God honors His Word even above His own name. Now, if God honors His Word that way, how much more should we as His children honor his word as the absolute authority. Number three, and finally, we prayerfully and humbly submit to God's word. We hold him in the highest esteem. We hold his word as the absolute authority, and then we pray through that word. We study and pray, and then we humbly submit to it. And in doing that, we model that in front of our family, our home that we're building, our people, the people we work with, and before our children. And all the while we're doing that, we are trusting that He is completely faithful to that Word as we pray and strive through it. How, how can we honor God in the everyday? Just like that. And one step at a time, one day at a time, and build on that. Trust God to do the work. Trust Him in every aspect, in every situation. He is sovereign and He is in control and He has authorized that in your life. And that authorization was meant to draw you closer to Him than you were before the situation happened. Lord, we come to you, we love you, we praise you. 
Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you are a sovereign, holy God who chooses to call sinful, wretched, unholy man to come along beside him, come along beside you, and labor in your work. Lord, teach us to labor and not toil. Teach us to trust. Teach us to obey in our everyday in our homes, at work, with our children, when we lay our heads down at night to rest so that we may start all over again in honoring you in the everyday. May you receive the honor and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If anybody needs to talk, I'll be hanging out the back. Small group leaders are scattered throughout. They'll be glad to talk to you if you want to talk to somebody that you might know better. Um, Daniel's about to lead us here at the end. Um, Thank you once again for letting me come. I love each and every one of you.